0: Welcome to the Imagine a Place podcast. I'm your host, Doug Shapiro, and I'm searching for voices that can help inspire a more creative and courageous youth. There are certain people I meet and I'm thinking, okay, I cannot wait to introduce you to our audience. Ginger Curtis, she's one of those people. She's the founder of the North Texas firm Urbanology Designs. Her work in residential design has earned her global recognition. There's videos of her on HGTV site, it's pretty cool. She understands and articulates design's ability to move you as good as anyone I've met. So yes, in this interview with Ginger, we'll talk design, but there is a long list of takeaways that makes this conversation so special her journey to design, the way she deals with fear, the challenges that she shares with us. She opens up, there's a bit of advice here on not rubbing dirt on your shine. That was a special moment for me in this conversation. I feel so good about sharing this one with you. Your life has been anything but ordinary.
1: (laughs) That is the truth.
0: I mean, um, the journey as a child, your journey through adulthood, um, it, it's been fascinating to hear about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'd almost love to start there because today is going to be an exploration of, of design, of the home, of mm-hmm. place, but uh, also of you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd love to just start with what home was like for you as a kid.
1: So home for me as a child was a little bit traumatic. And um, I I grew up in in an abusive home. Um, I was one of seven kids and my mom and dad were incredibly overwhelmed. And there was just, there was even a lot of neglect that was happening. And so I was I found myself often kind of left to my own ad- devices and imagination, and and wanting and longing for just a little tiny corner of order in my world to control something because everything else was always seemingly out of control, and so there um, there kind of became this awareness and connection with nature. We would go to California every year. My mom would take all seven kids on the Amtrak train to go see her parents, and we were we basically spent three months of the entire year in California, which was a lot. And so I, I sort of left all of the the things that were traumatic or painful, and and spent these like glorious summers frolicking in the hills and foothills of California, and Pebble Beach, and Big Sur, and Carmel, and which is where they lived. And my grandpa was a painter and I was exposed to art and he 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 created, you know, woodwork pieces and he had this workshop and I mean, it just, it, it was like this treasure box that opened my heart and my mind to what was possible. And so, yes, there was trauma, but there was also this like glorious playground as a little girl for me to go escape to. And that wildly impacted my view and perspective of, of interior design. And I can, it's kind of like woven in the fabric. of of everything that i do today
0: wow i mean that i can't imagine what that would be like that summer away and then that eventually ends you come back
1: it was hard Mm -hmm. i I can't imagine um it was really it was a real difficult challenge and then over the years i would start to see something another shift happen and i started seeing my mom work to create it's like finally she got past like all the babies weren't tiny itty bitty babies, and we were starting to get just a little bit bigger. And you could see that, you know, she was trying to create the sense of home for the first time and she would put up wallpaper herself or she would paint over the brick fireplace or she would mm. you know work to make the yard lovely and all these little things and it wasn't extravagant it certainly wasn't expensive we were completely broke but i could see my mom work hard to try to bring this little sense of home and beauty into our lives and that meant everything to me and that that also really impacted my journey
0: now you were not the oldest of seven, but you were one of the oldest, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you were, you were the second oldest. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I mean, w- How how did you help your siblings and how how was your relationship with your siblings?
1: I love that question because growing up with siblings was one of the most impactful journeys of my life. We were almost all a year apart, if you can believe that. And so at one point, my mom had six teenagers in the house all at one time. And there was never food, just a lot of kids because you couldn't keep a gallon of milk. Um... But, you know, we, we became each other's best friends. We survived some trauma together and all sorts of things. And we sort of linked arms. Now, don't get me wrong. We absolutely fought like cats and dogs. I mean, every other day we were trying to kill each other. But, but there was definitely this deep, you know, um, this deep bond that was forming. And as the second oldest, I looked at my siblings as like like the little... Chicklets, and I was the mother hen, like the second, because I could see my mom was drowning. The youngest of the seven kids was born mentally disabled and handicapped. And it was like, just there was no time, not even anything to just invest in us. Rightfully so. She was overwhelmed and didn't know what to do. She had no resources, and she's trying to keep together this little family. My dad's a workaholic. At this point in our lives, he was incredibly abusive. I mean, it was. It was an unhealthy environment, and so I looked at my siblings, and um, and it was it was a, a beautiful distraction for me to be able to like sort of rescue them, sew so into their lives, be very motherly, and you know, and I, it was from that that I always knew I wanted to you know a giant family. I thought I was going to have ten kids. I only wound up with five, which is plenty. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, yeah, the the sibling dynamic really uh, impacted my life.
0: What happened between uh, childhood and starting a business? Because you didn't start a business right away. I mean, right? There there was a, a time period in between... Did you feel like you were always connected to place and design mm-hmm. in those in-between moments or was yeah. there kind of an aha moment later in life?
1: There, there was actually both. Um, there, mm-hmm. The aha moment came later um, after I had had my last kiddo and I had just finished a long battle of cancer treatment. But but really what I realized um, leading up to the kind of like the light bulb moment was it was always there. <laughs> I mean, I look back at my childhood kind of what we were talking about earlier and you know, I had this little corner of the earth that was mine and it was Ginger's room and I made my bed every day and the pillows just were placed so perfectly according to me, you know, and the way that I laid everything out and I I was the only I was the only kid in the house who like decorated my walls. I put like like you know, I had this giant um Clock, But it was it was in the shape of like a wristwatch. So it was like a wristwatch clock. And it was, you know, maybe two or three feet tall. It was absolutely hideous. But like, I thought it was super cool. And it was a form of decor in my room and things like that. And so it was it was creating this, uh, this order and sense of beauty that I really connected to. And I didn't understand as a child how much I needed it, how Mm. much it was giving me um, a reprieve and a little sanctuary to just heal from some of the things that I was facing. In life, and I would I would find myself throughout um, my adolescent and younger younger years, like continuing every single place I went. I remember living in an apartment, you know. Well, you don't you don't improve your apartment, it's a rental. Oh, well, I did. I switched out every ceiling fan, every toilet seat. I got rid of the plastic, like hot cold knobs, you know what I mean? The really janky ones, uh, and put in a beautiful yeah. chrome faucet. I mean, You know, it was, it was definitely, you know, in me, but I could, I was so far from being able to articulate that there was, um, really, I think a life's calling and a bigger desire behind all of that. To me, it was just innate. And I was just, it it was, um, I was just doing it without even realizing. And then one day the rubber would really kind of meet the road. And, and I would, I would really kind of understand that I was going to step into a calling.
0: Mm. I mean, I do feel there is a mainstream disconnect that when you're investing in place, you're investing in something. When Really, you're investing in yourself.
1: Oh, I I love that. And that's exactly true. And I wholeheartedly believe in it because we, you know, we know our environments wildly impact how we live. And so to be intentional about our environments and have the freedom and the permission to lean into them in a way that is meaningful really can't be understated.
0: Yeah. All right. I want to jump into a different chapter now. Okay. okay. There was a picture that went viral that <laughs> really changed the course of, of what you would go on to do, right? Uh, describe this picture.
1: Are you talking about the uh, children's room? Yes. The Scandinavian children's room. Well, this is a funny story. I'm... Um was a first year in business and <clears throat> it was it was just me i felt like a little girl walking in her mom's stilettos like just super
0: not <laughs> an a ounce, great depiction.
1: not an ounce of confidence and i i just felt like i was wobbling you know and every step of the way um, but i was still of course pulling, pouring my whole heart into whatever my hands were going to touch and i created this little kid space and it you know again i i i i am like zero on the radar of anything like even like five notches below that okay and I designed this little kid's space and it's sort of this like sort of Scandinavian really bright airy almost like this treehouse vibe there's this it's on the second floor there's this giant tree through the window and the bunk bed is floating and it's it's got maplewood floors and the bed was made out of the same material and it's just incredibly unique and bright and airy and just a way different color palette than you would expect for a children's room and it became the number one most popular children's room in the entire world on house and it was refeatured in almost every country in every language it was it was crazy and they were like who is this who is ginger like and where is North Texas and where is North Richland Hills and you know and um, it, it kind of gave me just like the smallest amount of, of street cred you know and, um, and and helped sort of launch me to the next step from from there.
0: Well, it's a beautiful picture, first of all. And uh, all you have to do is Google your name, and it'll show up somewhere in the images.
1: Um, Yeah. (laughs) uh,
0: And a really cool use of material, um, really clever use of the bed, and it had the, the, you know, the. almost sort of industrial wheels.
1: Yeah, it was on the like, bottom bed. It. Yeah, it was on casters and the top bed was floating. And that was such an example of just being completely unrestrained. I wasn't trying to design to please anyone. Um, you know, I, I had a vision in mind for my children and I was thinking of like a dreamland for them. You know, they were really too small to, to, to really weigh in. And so it was just... I was like, what was in my heart that I could create that I thought would be just soothing, magical, a place for their little hearts to just wander, you know, a place to spread out and play with toys and without distraction, without clutter. And um, it, and that's what was so fun about it. It was just this rawest expression of what was in my heart.
0: I've heard you say in a previous interview that you're not trying to be an expert at everything, Mm -hmm. that you're really trying to own a specific lane. I'd love you to describe that lane for me.
1: Yeah, so um, I would rather tackle a few things in my life and do them extraordinarily well to, to whatever the capability and capacity is within me to do that than to spread myself so thin trying to you know you you chase two rabbits you catch zero, (laughs) You, you, you know? And, and I'm like, what, what am I really after? What are, what are my goals? And, and what would happen if instead of chasing all these different things and having just so many distractions, even goals, even good goals can be distracting. What if I focused on the things that I felt like were, you know, just God given strengths, abilities that, that I enjoy, that I know that I possess, or even same for my team. And I were to focus on those to reflect Find to hone to get better, you know. And and what what I have seen come out of that is super strength arise, mm. and like the dust is covered off, and there's this, you know, there's just gem that's been sitting in there. But but what happens is so many times we focus on the areas of weakness and the things that we're not good at, feeling like, well, gosh, if I could just pull, pull myself up by my bootstraps and be better at this, this, and this, and it's not our natural ability, we're going to see slow, small, incremental improvement. But what I have learned is when you discover a strength, when you discover a passion and you pour into that, there's an explosion of, of, of growth and ideas and opportunities. And I believe in that with my whole heart and it makes life just a joy to live. And it also makes it really fun to lead a team to help them to discover that in themselves
0: yeah I can imagine when you feel like you've gone over that hump and you understand what your strengths are when you can help other people do that, that's probably you know a, a, that next amazing feeling i've I've heard a quote I can't remember where I heard it, but it stuck with me, and I'm just reminded of it now. It's been a long time since I've thought of it but um someone used to say okay if you're a if you're an aide at something okay um and you're a five at something else you could work really hard to make that five a seven or you could work really hard to make that eight a ten mm-hmm. people pay big bucks for a ten yeah. they don't care about a seven
1: right <laughs>
0: <Exactly>. <laughs> and I've, that stuck with me and i'm like how, yeah how do i you know I, mean, I think about it for myself too you know like where's that where's that eight where mm-hmm. I could make it a 10. You know, that, mm-hmm. that's what I got to find. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's and, pretty cool that you found it.
1: It's, it's going to most likely more than not be something that you're naturally drawn to and enjoy. If, if it is a bent and a strength. And, and so why not pursue the things that are in our hearts that we draw enjoyment from and satisfaction?
0: Now, there was a moment as you were pursuing your strength where it was overwhelming for you, right? I mean, you had five kids. Mm-hmm. You were you were in decision mode, you know, how do I get, how do I run a business and a family? Uh, tell me about that moment.
1: Wow. It, there, there, there was some sleepless nights and it's like parenting. Like nobody just, nobody hands you a handbook of life and says, here's the manual, do this, don't do this and whatever you do, never say or do this to your kids, you know? And, and as an entrepreneur, um, sometimes we we do learn things the hard way and you get to a point and you're like, wow, I'm tired of learning things the hard way. Like what's what's the (laughs) smart way? And I I landed upon a really incredible book called The E-Myth Revisited. And it was it was really game changing for me because it brought a lot of validation to exactly where I was at and where I wanted to go. And I I identified with the fact that, like, I didn't want to keep wearing 12 hats. I wanted to focus on where my strengths lied, and if I could, if I could let go of some responsibility and delegate some things, which I know is so hard, you know, especially for entrepreneurs to do that, then um, then I could really start spending my time where it was going to move the needle the most. And that is one of the most singular things in my business that that the decisions that I made early on that has really helped me grow more than anything is is letting go in saying like to, to entrust other people to, to to steward things that like I want to, you know, I want to see um, like the fullest division and all that it can be. But, you know, the the word that gets tied to that whole scenario that trips us up is perfectionism. You know, and mm. when you're a perfectionist, well, holy cow, it's a little really sad, lonely little prison. When you're in a, a perfectionist, <laughs> because you're crippled and you can't, you know. And so, um, understanding that I could produce really wonderful results for the the clients who entrusted us with their homes, and um, and it didn't, it, there wasn't this like philosophy of perfectionism. It is like. We're going to show up and give you everything that our hearts and our and our our skills and our hands have to offer, and it's going to be beautiful and it's going to be lovely. And you know, there's just freedom, um, just freedom in that. And yeah, that that's a whole topic for yeah that I I just feel real passionate about and have given myself uh, freedom and my team. I, I all the time, and we talk a lot about fear. I talk to them all the time about not designing out of a place of fear that's a real interesting conversation you know and and what's produced out of that
0: i was at a new year's event and i heard you know we were all sharing it was a round table we were all sharing kind of what we wanted to give up and um there was an audience also one lady said i want to give up perfectionism and like you could hear the whole crowd just like relate you know like everybody kind of took a sigh and and connected with that moment and when you said that I, I, when you said this kind of lonely prison that you put yourself in i was like oh man i really feel that and i think i think perfectionism is that perfect example of too much of a good thing i mean your intentions are always good Mm -hmm. Um, but that's a hard thing sometimes to let go of and to just value progress instead of perfectionism.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that, that topic gets vulnerable because it's like, well, what is the root of this perfectionism? Is it pride? You know, often Mm. it is often it's very attached to pride. And since when has pride ever served us in a healthy way, it's (sighs) really crippling. And then you get things like perfectionism, you know? And so when it gets down to brass tacks, that's kind of why I use the word like prison because that's what it becomes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that was such a strong statement. What do you hope to be known for, Ginger? Uh,
1: I hope to be known for somebody who lived generously. In, in in every way. I think the thing, the first thing that comes to my mind, the thing that I value almost above anything is time. I value my time. I will pay all the monies in the world to, to get my time back. I will outsource. I will hire. I will avoid lines. I will do anything I can that, that gives me my time. I feel like it's so so precious to me, and I sort of had this kind of hypersensitivity to it. And so, when I think about living generously, it's not just from a financial standpoint giving, although that's part of it, but it's even like, how can I give of my time? Because if that nice. is what's mo- most precious to me, and and so just that whole philosophy of being generous with my children and my children's friends and my spouse and and my community and my team, how can I um, be extravagantly generous in in my in my praise? in my communication, in my thoughtfulness, you know, I want to be a person who is known for being fully present. And wow, that is hard for me. Um, I, I feel like the word is, you know, you know, live in the moment. And I'm living in lots of moments and I can sometimes like it because I am such a, you know, my, I am a, a natural born achiever and I wake up and the barometer of my day starts at zero and the little barometer just kind of, and the closer that it gets to a hundred, 110 and man, if that barometer just cracks, cause it can't go anymore. I'm like, wow, thumbs up. That was a successful day.
0: <laughs> wow. That, yeah. that is exhausting. Ginger
1: <laughs> it's, and you know what? I will tell you, I have had so many people on the sidelines stand watching me, even friends and it's like they'll look at me and and be exhausted and what charges one person's batteries can truly deflate another's and you know it, it's like and then you get into that world of like comparison and gets lonely at the top and who's really supporting you and that's a whole nother like, you know, whole nother topic. And I have really had to learn that to the outside world, it can look like a little bit of a spaz, but embrace it fully as it is a strength. Now, do I have to keep it named? Yes. My husband will tell me all the time (laughs) that I do. Um, you know, but, but just so, you know, to quit apologizing for it and just lean in and, and, and be, um, just be joyful that I do wake up and every day that little, I find joy that the barometer starts at zero again. I love. I just can't wait to put my feet on the ground and like go, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love how you said to not to apologize for it, whether you have that, you know, high achiever motor or not, if you've got it, you don't have to hide it either. You know, go do go do you
1: go go do or maybe maybe you you you're extremely intellectual and you feel uncomfortable because you say things and you do things that that look different and are framed differently than how other people would do them. And I feel like sometimes we rub a little bit of dirt on our on our shine so that it doesn't shine so bright because we don't want to make other people uncomfortable, you know? And I'm like, what are we actually doing? What if we just operated in our strengths and like we really inspired people instead of, you know, living in this world of self-critique constantly, trying to like please everybody, you know?
0: Yeah, man, I had goosebumps when you said that. Uh, I mean, I I I think so many people are going to relate to this conversation. Rubbing a little dirt on your shine. I I I where do you come up with maybe this is a Texas thing, I don't know, or a ginger thing, but you've got you've got all the right words.
1: I did it for years. I just I remember the day and I caught myself and I was talking to a girlfriend and I remember trying to describe something and I and I was working on something and, and it wasn't even it was a birthday party. And I wrote for one of my children and I man talk about letting the creative juices flow. I just it's like kid in a candy shop for me sometimes. And I remember trying to describe it and I kept trying to like dumb it down and make it sound dull and less and less and less because I didn't want to face the judgment of like, oh, well, look, what you did, You know what I mean? And, <laughs> yeah, right. and I, I realized I had done that like throughout my life in different areas. of just like, Ginger, just tone it down, right? Like, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever that looks like.
0: Yeah, I, and I think there's this like... Do we do it because we want to deflect, you know, deflect attention? Do we do it because we want to feel more relatable? When in actuality, we're probably missing an opportunity to inspire someone else.
1: It's 100%. um, A 100%. True. I feel like for me, you know, each of us, I think that's a really good baseline right there. But I think we're all, we all have our unique filters for what we've faced through life. And I faced a lot of rejection in my life. And so there was definitely some of this, like, um, fear of rejection that was being filtered through that, you know, like rub a little dirt on my shine type of thing because I had been rejected. And, you know, and, and each of us have our things. And I think if we can identify that and and say, wow, like that's actually not serving me and it is not serving the people in my life. You know, it's, it's powerful.
0: It is. It is. All right. Let's talk about your book. You've got a book, Beauty by Design. It is 2015, right? Mm-hmm. Are you... Working on another book, I'm just curious. What was that process like? Is it hard to write a book? Is it yeah. easy to write a book? Yeah. Take us through it.
1: It was the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life, and wow, have faced you know back to back cancer battles with myself and my daughter, and that's that's saying a lot. And I could not believe the stretch. I, I just was like, I'm stretched so much, I'm gonna break. I'm digging so much, I'm gonna fall in that that hole and never get out. I mean, it was an intense process of articulating first of all, things that felt innate to me that I didn't know mm-hmm. how to describe. That was a massive challenge. I like you don't even I didn't even realize, you know what it would really take. And as I got through the process, I, you know,. I, I, it, <laughs> But you know what? Some of the things, some of the the things that are worthy of doing, usually are very hard in this life. And um, I'm very proud that I did it. Um, I'm proud that it's something that my children can look back at and be like, "Mom did this," and this shares her story in her life. Um, so, in a nutshell, there you go. It was it was real, real hard.
0: <laughs> what What did you learn about yourself through that process?
1: Mm, I learned that I, I. I I do have a voice and that I can articulate. And I think for a lot of times, and I'm going to be totally vulnerable, I still feel attacked all the time that I have nothing valuable to say. And I I struggle with that. And, you know, writing the book was such a stretch to be able to, because it was this constant voice of like, just stop. Nobody wants to hear what you have to say. It's not valuable. We don't need one more thing in the world for this or one more this. And constantly pushing past that lie really um in coming on the other side of that just it it gave me this new sort of um almost permission to to be okay with with sharing uh and that i that i do have something to offer and i do have something that i deeply want to share because my my experience I, i look back on the things that i've i've faced and the traumas and the trials and the growth and i think that um Every time I can share that story, it, it can not only encourage somebody else, but it feels honoring to like what was overcome. And I don't want to soon forget because it's really what helped forge my path forward.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I, I can't imagine, um, the vulnerability that you might've felt putting this out there, even after it's complete, you know, it's kind of a piece of yourself out in the world. And it's, it's amazing someone as talented as yourself can have these feelings it just shows you how i don't know how human you are and how human we all are yeah. you know, despite how 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 much achievement you can have in your life mm-hmm. you know
1: yeah and it what um, there was there was no magic bullet i like i said i i still have moments and i'm just and i struggle with it just you know like um i'm i'm afraid to share sometimes and and it, I know in my heart that that's not true. And so the, the book, again, really was some breakthrough in that area. But I, I feel like I have more breakthrough. And and I'm okay with that. Um, I'm okay with putting in the work and doing the hard things. And I hope to be a different Ginger Curtis in five years from now than I am today. Like wildly different. I hope I am. Because if I'm not, then what have I learned?
0: <laughs> There's a question I ask every guest Uh, And it's just about advice, you know, the best advice that you've received or that you love to give, either one. Mm -hmm. Is there something that sticks out to you?
1: So I would say this is going to sound a little interesting at first maybe, but like the obstacle is the way. I Mm. think so many times we're faced with obstacles, especially in the culture that we live in, and we can size it up and make a decision and either crumble or shut the door or – I think more often than not, stay paralyzed in, in a place and time because we're, we're not going to make a decision or we feel like we can't. And what I have learned in my life is that really the obstacle presents the opportunity and it forces you to think outside the box. It forces you to think criti- critically, creatively. And I can look back on countless you know, moments in my life where I faced a massive obstacle and what came out on the other side was so much better than just easy street. You know, it's like, Oh, we just don't want, we're, so, we, we live in fear, something bad's going to happen. Or what if this, we're kind of holding our breath. But if we, if we look at the future with optimism and, um, and a reality that like the rains will come, they are coming and and we're prepared for it. And we look at obstacles differently Then we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in terror. And I know that sounds a little bit dramatic, but I think that like, fear is real in, in our Mm -hmm. society. And whether you're going to school or, or you're, you know, you're working for a firm or you're an entrepreneur, it can be crippling and it, it can force you to, to again, stay completely stuck in this place in life. And so just simply the freedom to look at obstacles, um, with, um, a new hope and a new promise that, you know, sometimes really the obstacle is the way.
0: I absolutely love that. You are like the walking, living, breathing example of that. Um, I know how valuable your time is. We've talked about it, and so i I greatly appreciate it. Is there anything we we didn't cover that you had hoped to share?
1: No, i you just did such a fantastic job. i you have a, a ability to ask really great questions, and I appreciate that so much. and it just it felt like um just felt like a conversation, you know, and i I thoroughly enjoyed it.
0: Well, I know our audience will love it. I'm so glad that we found you. If you'd like to join the conversation, go to Speakpipe forward slash Doug Shapiro, where you can leave me a question or a comment for a future episode. And if you enjoyed the episode today, we'd love a rating or review. It's one of the best ways you can help others find this podcast. For more design stories, visit us at ofs.com slash imagine a place. From OFS, I'm Doug Shapiro. Thanks for listening.